Hello and welcome to Words That Burn, the podcast taking a closer look at poetry. This week I have a very special episode. I am joined by poet Luke Morgan who has kindly agreed to do an interview with me on his latest collection, Beast. Hi Luke, how's it going? How's it going Ben? How are you? Thanks for having me on. Thanks a million for coming on. I really, really, really appreciate it. Yeah, I, I, the whole reason I've had you on is I'm just really taken with the collection. And I have to say it's the cover that grabbed me first because uh, you have on the cover the very contentious statue of Apuka done by Aidan Hart. I remember seeing that in different magazines and newspaper articles all over the place. And then I saw it on your cover and I went, what's this? And I picked it up and <laughs> it all went from there. <laughs> But you know that people, I'm not alone in uh, judging books by their covers. We all do it. <laughs> yeah, look, it wasn't good enough for the, the locals of Venice Diamond, but it was good enough for me. I think it's striking image, just fabulous creation. Uh, Aiden Hart is a genius, and I had the good fortune of meeting him earlier this year as well. And he was very, very generous in in letting us use uh, the image on the cover of the book. And as soon as I saw it, just like yourself, Ben, you know, I thought, this is perfect. And it very much it's as visceral and primal um but also as beautiful as i hoped beast would be so i just thought from the minute i saw it i thought that's perfect that's in in one image does what i want the book to do so i reached out to him and yeah he let us use it that's amazing yeah i mean you couldn't get much more of a a perfect kind of creature for the cover of your book than Apuka is is there anything in particular that draws you to that idea of like a shape-shifting kind of mischief maker I suppose yeah it's a I'm lo- I love Irish myth I think that's such a rich tapestry and, and world you know we we're all fixated of course with the Marvel universe at the moment in popular culture but like there's a, an entire universe out there that is unexplored and untapped in in just the Irish traditions and the various creatures and flora and fauna that has come up time and time again down through the, you know, the aeons in Irish cultural life. And so, it, it, you know, ever since I was a kid, I, I've always been attracted to the enchanting and the magical. And the puka is a very boisterous and playful and naughty creature, but also a shapeshifter, you know, one that isn't always what he or she seems. And that's, that very much described me for a good portion of my, you know, formative years. And so... I wanted to use it to basically, in that poem that, that's in the collection, Bill and Elle of the Puka, wanted to sort of talk about that, point the accusatory finger in my own chest, but be somewhat removed from the poem so that it's not too removed, raw, uh, by using the the scapegoat of the Puka. <laughs> so it's funny that you say, like, that you kind of pointed your, your finger at your own chest because the, you, you do deal with some some really intense emotions like very private moments in in different poems and it, it one of the things i think is is fascinating is you don't really know what kind of poem you're going to get immediately when you're when you're reading through the collection you know you know it's going to be emotional but you're not really sure what aspect of you know growing up or or dealing with adult issues or anxiety or anything like that they're all encompassed in various poems but you, you really don't know what you're going to get do you do you find it difficult to kind of write about those things or is it is it kind of a very natural process for you when it comes to poetry it's quite it, it is difficult and it's taken a while to sort of have the courage to actually write about myself because it's easy to point out other people's flaws and you know piggyback on other people's experiences but when you actually take the the excavation tools to your own 
to your own body it's um and your own memory it's it can be a little daunting especially you know given that what you're essentially doing is showing your dirty washing in public isn't it it's like hanging your <laughs> like hanging your soiled undies on the streets but i wanted to challenge myself to do that with a lot of poems and i think you know i'm not alone in saying that it's how we writers sort of discover ourselves and and explore ourselves i'm quite a, a self-analytical person and i think doing it with poetry almost puts an order and a sense and gives a sense of it gives me a lens through which I can view my own experiences and things that have happened to me and, you know, relationships that I struggle with in my own life. So finding the central conceit or the, the central sort of gimmick, for want of a better word, of the animal taking each animal home um, enabled me to do that. You know, it, it sort of gave me the metaphor that then could be uncovered as I wrote. And oftentimes I did surprise myself by thinking I was writing from one thing and then, you know, as as often happens when you're writing, you know, as soon as your hand is moving, the stuff that you really want to talk about that's maybe difficult to articulate comes to the surface quite quickly. And, you know, you either choose to listen to it and run towards it or run away from it. And uh, oftentimes I run away from it, but sometimes I run towards it and the, the, the result is, is beast. I mean, it's it's fairly hard to run away from. I think I think anyone reading the book probably recognizes a lot of their own emotions coming out in in different animals and different forms there's, there's definitely a universal quality to them despite yeah, the fact I, that it is a very irish collection especially towards the second half you know it's one of those things honesty is like it's it's the it feels like the most difficult thing to do in the moment but as soon as you submit it out into the world people recognize that sense of honesty you know and they 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 almost feel permission then to to experience the thoughts or sensations that maybe they would have thought of as unsavory you know because if they're seeing other people's dirty watching it's like oh okay i'm not alone you know i have these thoughts too i i i struggle with this too so that's the work i love in reading and other people's writing is like the stuff that's really really you know you wouldn't be showing it to your granny (laughs) (laughs) stuff i really like when people get really honest and raw and write the difficult things so i really wanted to do that with some of these poems and you, you were saying there when you pick the animals, you know, do you start with the animal and then find yourself going in another direction or does it start with the emotion and then you find a suitable animal? Or can you, I don't, I don't know if you can put that into words. I don't know if that's a process that can be. No, that's a, good, that's a good question. No, there's definitely moments where I sat down. I was like, I want to write a poem about a fucking dinosaur. Sorry. <laughs> you know, there was definitely like, there was lots of trips to, uh, to the zoo where that, that I made or, you know, to various wildlife ex- exhibits. Uh, taxidermy places where I, I'd go to seek inspiration to seek you know sort of some new category of beasts that I was drawn towards and then I'd try and marry that to something you know and in, in the in the intangible you know world in my head or memory but then there were other times that I wrote about you know I wrote from the heart and then attributed it to the the animal came second but it's a really yeah. interesting question. Yeah, I'd never thought of it like that, but that's that's kind of how it ended up happening. It was too, too prompt. Yeah, okay, so it just came in whatever form it took in that particular poem. Yeah, yeah. There are certain poems that are like really rooted in the image, but then there were other poems where maybe I was taking the make a little bit and I just, for the sake, <laughs> you know, having it belong in the collection, it slapped an owl animal on at the end, you know? Sure. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> One of the things I really liked is that some of your poems, you know, when you look at them in a in, in the two page spread, they kind of almost bleed into each other. 
in, in yeah. different forms. So I'm thinking particularly of I think it's octopus and then uh, sorry, eight arms and octopus. So like they're very joined thematically in terms of the animals they're talking about. And then again with elephant and scavenger, you finish on the image of a fox and elephant, and then immediately kind of jump back in 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 scavenger. I found that kind of fluidity and I, I suppose you call it mercurial kind of quality to it was really something that kept you engaged when you were reading the collection you know like so much move with it that's really nice to hear you say that and so two things about that and first is that's the benefit of having a great editor so alan hayes from (laughs) Ireland, somebody who you know he's 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 a lot of experience putting together a lot of poetry collections and he knows and feels that you know intuitively the sort of the, the the rhythm uh, and pace that a poetry collection should take and which poems should fit where. So his his advice in that regard and his guidance was really something that benefited from hugely. But also and and related to that, my first book, Honest Walls, which I brought out when I was really too young to know better, was that like it was kind of a smorgasbord, a, a, a smorg a morgan board, if you like. Uh, of um, lots of different poems and different experiences. You know, you have your whole life to basically create your first book, but then it's always the second album that's the difficult one, right? Because you yeah. have to call together something uh, far, there's less time to do it. The first book was like, throw everything at the wall and hope something sticks kind of approach. This book was more like, I was. I, I feel like I've, I've started to learn now how to create a book, uh, a collection of poetry that's almost more than the sum of its parts. That was the goal anyway with this book was like to create something that was like had different movements and had different individual sections but that felt like a cohesive whole mm. that was the challenge i set myself with beast um so what you're talking about there you know moving from one one home one idea bleeds into the other and you know it's almost follows that sense of that circumnavigation of how thought works you know once one one minute you're thinking about the desert then you're thinking about what you're going to have for dessert that was a really cheap joke, sorry. But uh, you know what I mean. And um, my brother is a composer. And I think, you know, all of these things, like a book of poetry uh, is is quite comparable to uh, a piece of music, you know, uh, a mm-hmm. big grand orchestral piece. And, you know, you almost feel it. You're like, okay, it starts this way and then we have to morph into a different vibe and different energy then that takes us into a different place here. So... That's how I thought about it as well, was like in terms of music, you know, moving from one section to, to another. Sure. I mean, you, you definitely feel that ebb and flow in different sections. I, mean, I think Thank you. whether it's your editor or yourself, you, one of you has done an amazing job of kind of yeah. matching the the substance of the poem to the right emotion and then, you know, moving from one to the other so you never get bogged down in one for too long. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, no, thank you. Thanks. And like the start of the book, I think is very emotional and very personal, but it starts, it's sort of moved away from that in the second half. It becomes more like of a, more like, I don't know, a story, like a collection of stories or allegories. So that's something I've noticed actually after having brought it out and having kind of read it now at a few festivals, you're still learning about about the thing that you put out yourself. Yeah. hear feedback from you know various people that have read it and have been generous enough to give their time to it and so it's it's an ever you know shape-shifting thing i guess you know yeah absolutely i wanted to come back because you you mentioned a little bit earlier about your your kind of love of irish mythology and and that kind of thing i I did feel and you you're free to correct me here if i'm wrong but i did feel that in that first 
at least the first third of the collection, it's it's very mythic. It's it's very drawing on the stories, I guess, of your childhood, like you said, and and things like that. And then there's kind of a a watershed moment there as you go through where where the world gets a bit more realistic, and you still very much have the animals as an allegory, but that mythic kind of quality fades away as you go. And I, for me, it struck me that you were kind of growing up within the text. Oh, that and you were really you were forced to leave that behind, you know. Yeah, that was that was all completely intentional. What are you joking? You can take oh. it. We'll we'll edit this out. You can just claim that the next time that we're. Oh no, no. Yeah. you're an oh, But it's not a dumbo, you know. People um, read the stuff and then they I, they kind of assume that you're more intelligent than than you actually are. So thank you, Ben. You've made me sound really good there. <laughs> well, that, either that or you are that intelligent subconsciously, <laughs> and it's all just coming out. It's grand. <laughs> When you're when you're talking about you know Irish mythology and stuff, did you have those vague recollections of it, or did you go in and research like different things? Because I know you have the the Kelpie in in one of the poems, the very touching poem about you visiting the ashes of your your sister. Yeah, and I know that's a very established creature. But then I found in other poems like Beware the Bull, you had almost a, a connection to the Tawn because of that whole cattle thing that we have, and mm. it's a it's a really kind of myth-making poem of your your father almost i thought but did you do a lot of research into irish myths and stuff before you went into those poems or not really i i think i i i'm not great i'm not a great researcher because i'm quite impatient (laughs) so uh, the way i sort of i I like something that feels visceral to me is like it's and that's you know the art of writing a poem or the act of writing a poem is very for me anyway it's like you know, need to go to the toilet. You know, you're sort of bursting, and you got to do it now. And it, even if you're on a uh, a public train, you know, you just got to do. You just got to do it. You just got to do it. My my research, any research that took place, took place kind of after the first draft of the poem had been cra- created. Yeah. Or in that sort of you know excited flurry before the poem is created, where I would just look up uh, an image of a of a creature or or draw upon some you know some experience I had with a myth. That ne- wasn't necessarily, you know, thorough from a factual point of view, but was more sort of emotional and driven by, you know, my memory of it. So I think it's it's kind of that one was used to get to the other. The 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 myths were very much used to as a vehicle to get to the place of memory or emotion or sort of message that I wanted to really express, not the other way around. So you know, it, it, I invite and expect criticism from people who are experts in the myths themselves that's almost not what i was that's not what i was setting out to do was to write a book sure. of poems about myths that were you know honoring those myths or it was more like to use them to get to something else that was more personal and felt like something i could more authentically talk about yeah absolutely well i think you did a, a, a good job of balancing both there i wouldn't i wouldn't say yeah. you'll get too much criticism from the the uh myth experts out there yeah, exactly you'll probably be <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting, you know, that you said, you know, you get through that first draft to keep that visceral quality. And yeah, I, I think it really comes through. There's there's some points there, you know, where you're reading the collection, some of them just pack a wallop in terms of stuff you didn't see coming. Do you know what I mean? Where you're just like, oh, okay, I wasn't expecting that. The, the one that kind of floored me was Small Orange Suns. So you had that one kind of nestled in there between in the in the last third of the collection. And then I remember reading the first part and I was like, oh, that's a nice observation. And the second part is just a very very poignant commentary on on i guess not irish society necessarily but things that go wrong within society 
it really caught me out of nowhere. I thought it was a really impressive poem. <laughs> Thank you. Regard. Yeah, I mean, it's very, it's kind of a cynical collection in a way because I, you know, it's, it is talking. I, I tried to, it, as the book went on, to sort of morph into amusing on how bestial we are, you know, that actually yeah. the, you know, we are beasts ourselves. And that meant that, you know, uh, grappling with some quite violent and disturbing uh, content, you know, with the, with, from an inspiration point of view. But, I hope I hope it ends on a note of like although we are you know quite bestial and and primal and we are also capable of you know doing beautiful things too so that there's there's one as balanced as the other. I think that definitely comes through. I think you know, especially when you talk in your more personal poems, where you know an animal becomes the embodiment of an experience that you were going through. You bring a very meaningful aspect of that animal's life and it's very endearing in certain cases and it's a little bit I, I know you said earlier you know you had a little bit of fun with it sometimes and it, it worked very well in that regard thank you but it, it does you're, you're never left feeling too cynical or at least I wasn't from my reading of it there, there are some very hopeful notes in it as you go along and I was just you, you deal with masculinity quite a bit yeah and one of the things that I found really interesting because I think we're of a similar age and we've probably both had a very similar Irish school background. Yeah. It was interesting hearing you talk about, you know, growing up in the school and, you know, going through puberty and stuff like that. And, you know, all the things that you don't speak about and you're kind of just left to panic with as a thing. And it was a fascinating kind of look into that for me. I found those early ones, especially I think it was Armadillo, I think is the the one. Really like interesting documenting of what I think is probably an experience a lot of young Irish men go yeah. through. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's not something that um, is very popular to talk about at the moment. You know, the experience of being a, a young man, and uh, that's a very dangerous space that we're in. I think because, like, there are young men out there who aren't, you know, given the permission to experience the feelings that they are experiencing. So. Mm-hmm. One that I've been quite surprised pleasantly about is the reaction I'd had to the book from other young men of a similar sensibility to myself. You know, because I'd you know, I'd, like at school, I was always into poetry and I was always slagged for it because it was like, oh, you know, if you like poetry, then you're you know, you're a girl and you're a bit, you know, it, you know. I think I, I've since had a lot of like young men my own age come up to me and and be like. This, that was really interesting reading a poem about your penis that wasn't like, you know, that sort of Joe Rogan, you know, far right leaning BS that you'd see online, you know, where that energy sure. is. Yeah. Because it's so pent up because it, you know, it's not in, it has not been talked about. It goes there rather than goes to yeah. create, you know, it, it's, that's where young men look to. They look to the likes of Jordan Peterson, unfortunately, and then Joe Rogan, where, there could be, you know, these positive male role models who give young men a, a space to discuss the things that they're genuinely going going through. So, so that's that's. I'm, I've been really. I was really worried about those poems actually at the start. I was worried about how they were going to be received. But I think because you know they put me in a very vulnerable position. They're not aggressive. They're not uh, gratuitous. Or they're they're not as gratuitous or as aggressive as I I I feared they might come across as being. Yeah, uh, I think a lot of people, both men and women alike, have responded to those poems because we we do I think have we have a you know a, a, an honesty 
meter ingrained in us. You know, like even when you're scrolling down through Facebook and when somebody puts up a status and it, they're speaking from the heart, there is something in us that that it, it is drawn to honesty and can recognize. Yeah. But also vice versa, you know, like a lot of the poems that I wrote in the first book, Honest Walls, I was writing to kind of impress adults or grown-ups or I was, you know, I was writing them to impress my peers in the poetic community uh, and they weren't real. You know, they were nicely crafted and they were, you know, they ticked the boxes, but they weren't, you know, they weren't actually honest. And I think that's what some, something I wanted to change with this book was like, okay, even if nobody likes this and, you know, this this gets some resistance, I get some resistance to this, nobody's ever going to be able to say that this wasn't my experience or that this wasn't the truth. So those bones were the ones that, you know, I was a little insecure about at the start, but I've been really, I've been really grateful to to know that they've been received by people in the, in the spirit in which they were intended, which was basically to just sort of talk about the experience of being a young man and growing up and, you know, being anxious around all the things that, you know, the world makes us anxious about. So Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it was difficult to do that, but I'm glad I did. Yeah, I, I, I think it's it's interesting to hear you say that you were you were nervous about them. You handle them in such a it, there's a directness to it, but there's also a very sincere kind of objectivity to a lot of the way that you wrote those poems. You know, you're you're almost documenting experiences, and so they never come across in that kind of caricature of you know the Joe Rogan or the Jordan Peterson ultra male aggressive kind of yeah. thing. They they come across as very vulnerable things that are just observed and put across very well. Uh, the other one that struck me within that theme is is stag. Oh, yeah. I just thought that was such a fascinating look at how men interact with each other in a bizarre way and how you can kind of, I guess, go a little bit backwards when you're in that group setting. Yeah. Well go back to your school days or your school mentality. Or, and it doesn't yeah. matter how much you've grown, you know, you, you still find yourself going a little bit backwards. So I wonder if you wouldn't mind reading that poem for us now. This is uh, Stag. The lads were all born again Christians. We stayed up late around a fire, slugging carpaki and flicking blunts. The funny accent soon turned to whooping from my sleepless nights. I found myself cheering to the foreskin of a cackling man. Another one took a clicking lighter's tongue to his patchy pubic hair. We ended things in peals of sick. Then off they went with praying hands. I heard the quips I'd heard before in passing herds of lower men. How we'd vowed to press a girl's cheek against a bedroom wall. My sodden camping gear sweating through black plastic bags. I drove on through the Wicklow rain until a flash of jumping fur stopped my car with a screech, leaving me a ghost imprint of fragile hide of two big, glaring horns. Thanks for Phenomenal. The one that kind of struck me as like a changing point in your collection was the search for the Mastodon. Okay. And where I think you talk about doing the, the great like Irish emigration to the States. And I took it to be that you were searching for some kind of meaning in the United States. Yeah. And you you know, I really found that your your collection kind of went way more Irish after that particular after that particular section. Okay. I just thought it was really, really um interesting. It switched from kind of a very universal experience to more poems set in Ireland or based in Ireland stuff like that so I wonder if you wouldn't mind reading that there first okay so this is the search for the mastodon this one has an epigraph which is 1806 USA it's rumored 
the real reason behind the Lewis and Clark westward expansion is to find the Mastodon. Jefferson rearranged her bones nightly on the floor of his study until he had a skeleton he could believe was real. Obsessed, she still roamed the land like a dream caught in an empty hall. He ordered the doomed quest two centuries before I sat on a plane destined for an unknown west, imagining the horns that waited for me. A campfire circle heard of my ten-foot-tall beast, though I hadn't yet been the one to find her. Leathered skin, tame enough for a leash, oblivious she could crush me in a heartbeat. I excavated the soil beneath a circus tent, using tusks given me by another traveller, but the sunken skull we found belonged to a mere elephant, and we went again our separate ways. Lewis and Clark returned empty-handed. I scoured the streets of the greatest city on earth, breaching chain-link around vacant lots, siphoning through wall ornaments in neon dive bars after dark, hearing braids from her trunk in the scrape of alleyway dumpsters, foreign wheels on flooded tar. When I returned at Terminal 2, a crowd clambered against the rail to hear of the failed crusade. My eyes went above the searchers, to one so huge she filled the room. These bones I knew from a study floor, these teeth I'd shut in a glass corner case, together now as something more, a myth come true inside a face. I don't think I'll ever be able to shake the image of a mastodon in Terminal 2. Yeah, no, it's 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 that sort of thing of like, you know, searching for something out there that is right in front of you and has been right in front of you all along, you know. So it's interesting to hear you say that, you know, the poems from that point on are like it's almost like the returned returning from that sort of base of abstraction back to the real world that you know you inhabit. Yeah, it's one that went through lots of different edits and lots of different drafts because I was trying to, you know, I think I have a tendency as a writer to be, not deliberately, but, you know, I, I can be obscure sometimes. Like the meaning can be quite hard to excavate. And that was a poem that I was worried about, maybe that it was overwritten, that people would read it and be like, what the fuck is this book? I always, I, my internal compass is my my mom and my brother, like cause they, they have no interest in poetry whatsoever. So you know, I can't, whereas I can wax lyrical in a room when I'm drinking wine and with other writers, I I can talk a certain amount of shafoge. You know, when I'm with my mom, my brother, <laughs> read a, a poem, they they just don't buy it. Like, you know, they're like, no, sorry, that's, I don't buy it. Uh, that doesn't make sense to me. So I always try and shoot for that, that sort of demographic when I'm writing. There's always that sort of voice in my head that's like, are you just, what you know, being way too high pollutants here you know is this actually communicating anything to anybody who doesn't have a degree in english literature you know <laughs> that's that's my biggest fear is that like that's the that's the category i'm going to be put into it's like this is you know very obscure uh i want to write poetry that people who don't have any interest in poetry can access and read you know but I think that's a massive benefit to people. Do you know what I mean? It is a collection that would appeal to a broad range of people. And I think it, it makes it a more valuable piece of poetry. Like, don't get me wrong. We all like the the perfectly crafted, you know, sure. yeah. writers, writer, poets and stuff like that. But you're right. Sometimes you do have to have, you know, your master's degree in English literature to 
tackle the first few lines. Uh, I get, I'm quite tolerant of that in other people's writing, I have to say, but I'm guilty of it, you know, from time to time. This Sometimes I do need a, a second reader to be like, Luke, you know, this isn't clear what you're talking about here. What yeah, is the part? <laughs> so I've been grateful in, in that I have, I'm part of a community where I can, I can send poems out to people who are going to, you know, they're not going to, there's no reason to lie to me, you know, and so they, they, they would be straight. They'll be, you know, very supportive in their criticism, but critical in their support. So I, I value that hugely. And that's something that every writer should really aspire to be part of because you can get caught in an echo chamber very easily, I think. Yeah. So do, do you find that like poetry as a communal activity is a much more beneficial thing for you then? It's a very lonely pursuit, poetry, but I think the poetry, the poetry community, the, actually, the act of writing it is very lonely. But the poetry community in Ireland is very supportive. You know, there's we're all sort of these uh, fabled loners who, when we get together, it's almost like we have this giddiness about us because we, we can't believe that there's somebody out there who's like us, you know? Because like I said really? earlier, I'm... I'm, you know, there's not many people in my life, in my immediate circle that actually have an interest in poetry. There's very few, actually. It's it's nice to meet up with other people who have released books in the same year, you know, at these literary events and just talk about the very specific challenges that, you know, we all have to deal with as writers and we all read each other's work. And it's it's just great having a, say, a set of champions that believe in you and, you know, but also can hold you to accountable so that when you do share early drafts of poems, with them they can be like I don't think this is your best work you know because it's very hard to know when you write something you get mm-hmm. very excited about it and I've written stuff in the past that I've thought okay this is the best thing I've ever written and then you know two years later I'll find it when I'm doing a cleanup of my laptop and I'll be like oh my god who wrote this <laughs> outrageously bad and then I'll be like oh I wrote that okay well that's going in the bed but then similarly there's other times where you're doing a comb through your documents and you're writing something that you wrote like four years ago and you're like Jeez, that's that's pretty good, you know. (laughs) You got to forget, you know. So it's time gives you that perspective, but when you need that perspective quickly, other people who are writers and who know who have been through these same processes can give you that perspective. So, just on the subject of the poetry community, have you been reading any particular collections or any particular poets that you've been enjoying lately? Or yeah, absolutely. Uh, this year was a great year for Irish poetry, I think. The girls are outdoing the lads at the moment. So Victoria Kennefeck, whose collection, Eat or We Both Start, came out last year, but still is doing the rounds, deservedly so. It's a fantastic book of poetry. There's one about a beached whale. I think it's actually called Beached Whale. But I've had the pleasure of hearing her read in person a few times, and that's that immediately stood up as being one of the best ones. And she's a new poem called Ram as well, which is... It, 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 I'm 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 very uh, jealous of it. It belongs in Beast. Uh, <laughs> if it was in Beast, it would be the best poem in the collection. But uh, I did not write it. She wrote it. She's it's a fantastic poem. Nithi Casa as well um, is a dear friend of mine. We went to school together actually, and she, her collection Wine Tapper and the Boy Jericho is uh, one. It was one of my highlights of this year. Just really musical and so um, colorful. You know the 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 poetry is is just incredible molly Toomey, raised among vultures one of my favorite collections of the year really really unflinchingly honest you know in the way that i wanted beast to be i think mm-hmm. she completely nailed that aspect where it's not you know it's not gratuitous and it's not oversharing it's but it's so 
authentic and it's so true and it's so powerfully crafted that it just certain poems leave you breathless and i really mm. was really taken with that collection and it's a it's our first book and i just can't wait to wait to read our second and our third and our fourth and a bit because it's a, it's one hell of a start uh shri sen as well cracked asphalt that was a great collection this year um i really enjoyed that it was it's, it's a pamphlet but She's a writer who's got a lot to say, a lot of interesting things to say. And then Jess, Jess Trainer, Jessica Trainer, her third collection, I think you might be aware of her. She's a little bit more established than the rest of us. Pit Lullabies is the name yeah, of her. Yeah, her phenomenal collection. Great <laughs> yeah. book. Yeah, yeah. And she has a poem in it called The Onion Poem. And I mean, my favorite Onion Poem up until I read that collection was was um, Caroline Duffy's famous Valentine. Um, yeah. But Jessica Trainer out. Out Carol Ann Duffy, Carol Ann Duffy. Um, out onions. <laughs> she, she was out onions, yeah. But uh, apart from those, lots of lots of really amazingly diverse and interesting collections came out this year from Irish authors. And I'm um, looking forward to 2023. Can't wait. It has been, you are absolutely correct, a phenomenal year for Irish poetry. It's just been really, really good and it's been a joy to read it. Your collection amongst it. Well, listen, Luke, I'm sure poetry in 2023 for Ireland will be just as good as this year, if not better. I just want to say a massive thank you for coming on and talking to me about your wonderful collection. Thanks, Ben. And thanks so much to yourself uh, for championing, you know, independent Irish writing. I think it's a really noble thing that you're doing and it's a, a incredibly vital part of the ecosystem. So, a lot of it is probably voluntary. So thanks to yourself, Ben, for, for inviting me.